Welcome to Conservation Unfiltered, presented by Conserve the Wild, your destination for an unfiltered look at conservation. Now let's get wild. In my experience, so many youth that want to get into this industry but just aren't competitive enough. They don't have the education, they don't have the experience. To be able to to fund a program that specifically like educates youth um, to be able to, to get into this industry. Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Conservation Unfiltered podcast presented by Conserve the Wild. I'm your host Jason Creighton. This is episode number 70, Working with the Mile High Youth Corps. Now today I'm going to be talking with Haley Tresh. And Haley is a pretty remarkable person. Uh, She did the whole traditional college route and then got a job, started her career uh, in the marketing and sort of communications field. And um, she did something that uh, a lot of people are unable to do, and that includes myself, uh, just saying one day, you know what, this isn't for me, I need to do something else. She quit her job, and she started working uh, for two stints with the uh, Mile High Youth Corps in Colorado. And uh, we talk a lot about what, today we talk a lot about what her job uh, actually entailed, some of the different things that she did, um, why it's important to have these opportunities. And, you know, basically, this Mile High Youth Corps is like an, an offshoot of the original CCC back in the 1930s. So we're going to talk a little bit about, is this important? Uh, is this something that we should bring back? Should we start the CCC back up again You know, with the current status of unemployment and things of that nature? And then we talk a little bit about, you know, is it really important for kids to go to college? Are we, should we really be pushing every kid to go to college? That kind of thing. Uh, just a quick little background about the Mile High Youth Corps. And what they're about, um, their main mission is to help youth make a difference in themselves and their community through meaningful service opportunities and educational experiences. So uh, they're offering this development for anyone that's age 17 to 24. Uh, They've been doing this for 28 years. Uh, They're doing all kinds of, you know, all all kind of conservation based uh, projects that, uh, you know, in land, energy, and water conservation, uh, construction, health, and wellness. Uh, so they're basically trying to help people, uh, you know, these, these younger uh, adolescents, eh, younger adults, let's go with that word, uh, these younger adults uh, to sort of find their path in life and then give them a purpose now while they look for that path. And it's something that I think as we're talking to Haley, you're going to definitely tell uh, that it really helped drive her in the direction that she personally needed to go. So without further ado, let's go and dive right into it. Here's my conversation with Haley. Welcome back, everyone. As you heard in the intro, we are talking today with Haley Tresh. Haley, how are you doing today? Great. And you? 
I'm doing wonderful. Uh, thanks for joining me on a Saturday. Um, <laughs> and uh, I know this is uh, a little bit earlier for you being in Colorado and, and me being in Pennsylvania. Um, but I want to thank you for joining me. This is, um, uh, we'll, as everyone already heard, we'll be talking about uh, the CCC and the Mile High Youth Corps. Um, I think this is a very timely topic and um, who better to have uh, as a guest than someone who uh, participated with the Mile High Youth Corps. So um, just for all the listeners, can you just give a, a, a brief background of um, how you got to the Mile High Youth Corps and then, you know, and uh, what, where you are now in your career and, and what you're working on now? Yeah, sure. So um, I happened upon Mile High Youth Corps really by luck. Um, so I was in kind of a cycle of regret and loathing for my past career. Uh, I was in marketing, which I thought that, um, you know, getting a degree in that and then uh, you know, graduating immediately and jumping into a marketing career would be fun. You know, it seemed kind of like a, like a, like a sexy job, I guess. And, um, you know, we've all seen, what is it? Mad Men. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, I eventually started to really dislike the, you know, the cold calling, um, the making people think what they didn't originally think and, and buying into a product that really wasn't something that I didn't believe in, I guess. So I up and quit my job with no other backup plan, with nothing really to go to. Uh, moved back in with my mom and said, hey, we're gonna figure this out. Um, two weeks later, the pandemic hit and what I thought would be, you know, maybe like a month tops of finding a new job turned into a several month process. Um, I realized that I wanted to be doing something that not only did I love recreationally, but that I could really put my heart and soul into my work as opposed to, you know, uh, marketing where it was just kind of fun, I guess. Email campaigns really aren't for me. <laughs> um, so that's where I started looking at this, you know, this conservation, this natural resources field, which I didn't realize how difficult it was gonna to be kind of breaking into that because in my experience, at least in Colorado, it's extremely competitive. Um, you need uh, probably a four year degree and then be willing to be a temporary employee for years. And, and then maybe you'll get a permanent position. So um, I started looking at really base level, um, how can I just get my foot in the door? How can I you know, get somewhere that is willing to take a chance on me and educate me in the, along the way and give me a lot of great experience? And that's where I found Mile High. Um, they are a youth corps in, in Central, in downtown Denver that um, has a few programs. One of those is water and energy. The specific program I was in was in the land conservation program. I saw an ad for a saw crew member and never wielding so much as, um, you know, any electrical <laughs> like equipment that could, was capable of cutting down an entire tree before. I said, you know what, you know, I'm really all about uh, recreation right now. So I applied for that. And because they are a youth corps and they're used to um, really giving people a chance who are essentially completely new to the industry, I was hired, which was amazing. Um, so with Mile High Youth Corps, uh, on a saw crew, first we, you know, we did our saw training. We um, did some 
um, some fire mitigation work in Evergreen to kind of get our like our S212 equivalency training done. And, um, and yeah, from from then on, I, I was with them for six months. I wish I could have been with them for longer, but they do run uh, terms is what we can call them. And both of those were three months long. And uh, leading up to winter, uh, there was a, a winter fire program that seemed pretty intense, pretty exciting for me. I, I would have loved it, but it was um, unfortunately very, it, it seemed pretty tough to get into. You needed, you know, probably a good year of experience with Mile High. So, so that's uh, where I ended with Mile High. <clears throat> First off, I have to say that that is very brave to just say, mm -hmm. you know what, I don't like what I'm doing. I'm, I'm quitting. Mm -hmm. um, that's who, uh, for me personally, uh, that's not a, something I could, uh, I could do. Um, so uh, I look up to you to be able to just say, you know what, this isn't for me. I'm going to find something else and, and, um, and do it now. Mm -hmm. It's unfortunate that, you know, the, the timing of it all worked out the way it was. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with that pandemic, but um, seems to me that, that, you know, things sort of worked out for you um, mm -hmm. to be able to at least get your foot in the door. And so first let me um, let, let's, go into a little bit more in depth as far as like what it was that you were doing what were the actual what was what was day-to-day -day life and and work like for you sure so on my saw crew that i was a part of um we specifically were working on invasive species removal which um if anyone from Colorado is listening to this, you probably recognize uh, a Russian olive tree, or at least what that is. It's an invasive species uh, tree. It's actually considered a noxious weed. And um, I'm sure listeners of your podcast will, will probably recognize uh, list A, list B, list C species. It is a list B species, which means that it is so bad. It is so noxious and it takes over everything um, that it can that the state has actually recognized it as something that we can probably never get rid of, but we're just going to try um, our, our darndest. So I was on a crew that was tasked with removing as much Russian olive as we could. Uh, we worked with parks and rec districts across Denver um, and a few like on the, on the Eastern uh, border of the mountains to, um, to remove those. Uh, Russian olive typically they tend to plague waterways, um, especially like in rural Denver. So we were tasked with cutting those down. Most of the time they were on um, uneven terrain. If you think of like a trench uh, where the water would be running, you know, through it in an urban area, um, it wasn't necessarily always the, the prettiest um, place to, to show up to work, but that didn't matter to me because I was showing up and legitimately making a difference, which I know sounds completely cliche, but you know, moving from marketing to conservation just felt so authenticating and I loved it. Um, so yeah, daily I would be cutting down trees with a chainsaw. Um, after our training, I didn't realize how powerful and great that could feel. And um, yeah, and until I was doing that for, for around six months, um, the other side of work that we did, because six months of just cutting down Russian olives would have been a little bit too much, a little exhausting. I don't know if they would have retained all of their um, 
all of their crew members if we just did Russian olive work. So the other thing that we did is we went up to Evergreen for a few weeks and we did some fire mitigation work, which was a great relief, but it also, it felt awesome to be doing that, like just coming off of Colorado's horrible, horrible fire season in 2019 um, to 2020. Uh, yeah, it was, it was terrible uh, just seeing like, how many hundreds of thousands of acres that were, were burning down, you know, just like monthly. And um, yeah, and then to go up to Evergreen, which was a beautiful work site. And we were actually, we were thinning the forest as part of fire mitigation, um, which is really just a process of removing um, as many fuels as you can healthily for the forest so that if a fire does um, spread through, it'll move slower and possibly even stop. Uh, we were working pretty close to a highway going into Evergreen, Colorado. So super important for a fire not to either cross that highway or come anywhere near it. There's a couple of things in there I, I want to, I, I would like to have you highlight on a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, so you go in and you cut this autumn olive down. Um, it's not Russian something, olive. or uh, Rus Russian olive. Mm -hmm. um, it, that's not something that as far as I know, that we have much of in Pennsylvania. Um, we do, uh, just like every state, we have uh, some invasive species. I'm thinking of knotweed um, is one that we have um, that mm -hmm. just grows on riverbanks everywhere here in Western Pennsylvania. Um, mm -hmm. Super tough to get rid of uh, because cutting it down doesn't kill it because the roots will just sprout something new and you have to be careful with spraying it because it's right next to a water waterway um so with that russian olive um like when you cut it down does that does that kill it uh or is there a herbicide treatment that needs to be done too oh no yeah you're completely right it seems like they're probably similar uh similar trees but no if you cut it down um and you leave it for anywhere from like a minute to five minutes, it probably will come back. That's how aggressive this tree is. You need to um, you need to cut it and then immediately spray it, like you said, with um, with herbicide. Uh, we were using a variety, but um, I would I would cut, and I also was um, certified to to spray for my crew. And yeah, it's it seems like it was a job that a lot of people on my crew were like, oh, I I would really love to spray. That looks super easy, but it's it's actually like it's pretty complicated. Um, Russian olives and really any tree has this outside layer around the bark called the Cambrian layer. Um, that's the layer that you want to be applying the, the herbicide to um, immediately after. And like I said, these trees grow on slopes, they'll grow upside down, they'll grow in lakes. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's super difficult to get every single uh, piece of that Cambrian layer applied with herbicide. Um, so yeah. So uh, I'm assuming you were like, I would assume that you'd be walking with like a backpack sprayer on or was it like a handheld sprayer? For us, um, mostly it was handheld sprayers. There was another crew that um, they were doing backpack sprayers, but that was for things like bindweed and, and milkweed. I know that they were, you know, doing like the smaller applications for that. Um, but no, for, for me, I was just using like a handheld sprayer, okay. which was super nice. Um, I guess a backpack sprayer would have been nicer because then I could carry a chainsaw, um, a gas tank, and the, the sprayer with me at all times. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, it would be, um, like, I, I look at that like, yeah, that would be um, 
more efficient as far as like what you're carrying from spot mm -hmm. to spot. Um, but as someone who uses a backpack sprayer to spray uh, multiflora rose on our private property, mm -hmm. um, that's a lot, you know, even I think ours is eight gallons, I think it is, four mm -hmm. or eight, eight gallons. Um, I mean, that's still a lot of weight just sitting on your back. And so walking around like our property for most part is relatively flat. But if you're, you know, walking, like you said, in the trenches and on steep slopes and things, that could be very top heavy and, and maybe slightly dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, so after you, you cut down that Russian olive, you, you spray it, um, are you then leaving the the cut trees in place for like wildlife habitat uh, sort of type deals or are you, is your crew also removing that debris? So it depends. Um, with, with Russian olive work, like I said, it was, it was mostly urban. It was pretty much entirely urban, but um, there were some areas that it was pretty impossible to pull the Russian olive tree out of where we were. I'm remembering early on in the season, um, my second season, I was with um, a, a new person who wasn't with, with me the season before, and we strapped on some waders. We had to wade through um, a trench. It smelled so bad. Um, <laughs> we had to walk, I'm, I'm going to say like a hundred yards, onto this little island where it was spotted, a massive Russian olive tree was spotted. Uh, when we went over there to cut it down and to spray it, after it was cut, there's no way we can bring that Russian olive all the way, you know, a hundred yards back in our waders um yeah like i said impossible while we're carrying uh chainsaws holding them above the water and and my pesticide because i or my my herbicide i have to make sure it doesn't touch the water uh, there are herbicides that are somewhat safe for water um but you really just want to avoid contact with that as much as you can so yeah in in those kinds of cases we did have to what we did was it's called bucking and limbing um we we bucked up the the bowl or the trunk of the tree and then limbed the uh, the limbs from from the bowl of the tree and so we make it as small as possible and um, as unnoticeable by the public because there's people walking around while, while we're doing this we want the park to still be beautiful for them um, so we kind of just have to pack it down um, kill it as best we can and leave it uh, but like I said most of the time when we aren't working in a lake. Um, we were working on land and we were able to drag what's called at that point brush to a chipper. I think, you know, most people have seen a wood chipper. I mean, I, I know that there's a Deadpool, I think Deadpool number two, um, yeah. a scene yes. with a chipper <laughs> shall rename, <laughs> remain nameless. But um, yeah, so that's essentially what a chipper is. Uh, it's an extremely dangerous piece of equipment. Uh, we would actually drag the brush up to the chipper and if it was small enough, um, one of us would insert it into the chipper or, or several of us if it was like a larger actual tree um, that we hadn't bucked and limbed up. So, so yeah, that was, I would say that was the most exhausting part of the work and the least uh, the least glory that you get is, oh, you put something in a chipper as opposed to, I just fell a tree. That's amazing. But no, it's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> the reason why I ask uh, about, you know, removing the trees is because I feel like the general public would look at an area where a bunch of trees have been cut down and they would, if they were just laying there, 
um, they would look at it and be like, oh, that's ugly. Why wouldn't they do something about that? Mm -hmm. um, in contrast, you know, a person like myself, I look at those down trees and think, you know, squirrels, rabbits, um, uh, any number of songbirds, you know, can utilize that as cover and as shelter. Um, I look at it as, as good quality habitat. So I, you know, I'm sure there's, um, especially like you say, you're working oftentimes in a urban style area like you have to be conscious of what the public sees because they're not you know if they're not happy with how it looks afterwards then they're um, going to be less likely to support this yeah. good conservation effort uh, the other thing that i wanted to talk about um that i wanted to, to hit on a little bit from what you've already mentioned is that that fire mitigation um mm -hmm. you know this you know 2019 was just crazy fire um, not just the United States. I mean, obviously Australia had huge issues there. Um, I don't, I, I don't want to get into the, the whole concept of climate change and, and, and wildfires. Um, that's, I feel like neither one of us are really qualified to speak on any correlation that might or might not be there. Um, but from the fire mitigation strategies, I mean, from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, or uh, or also if I, I guess if I'm right, maybe you could expand upon this a little bit, but the idea is to basically clear the forest of dead vegetation so there's less fuel for the fire, correct? Somewhat. Okay. Um, with fires, that I, I know at least in Colorado, I'm sure this is probably a quality of fire everywhere, but fires can get so hot, you know, hundreds of degrees that the, the vegetation doesn't have to be dead to completely light up. Um, so, so yeah, yes and no, I guess. We were clearing, unfortunately, it hurt my soul to do it, but we did have to cut down live trees to thin the forest. Um, our instructions were we wanted a tree to be you know, as old as possible, that we would choose the largest one. And then within like five to 10 feet, we would try to make that the only tree there. So we did quite a lot of thinning. Um, but yeah, the idea, like you said, is, is really just to remove as much fuel as we can so that it's harder for fire to jump either like from the ground or from the canopy of the tree to jump from tree to tree because that's one of the most dangerous ways that fire can spread is when you're jumping from the canopy then um you know forest fire crews that are going in to try to um to stop forest fires they're cutting down trees that already have fire in their canopy they're they're already lit on fire that's extremely dangerous work so yeah we were just trying to um keep as many people safe as possible but also uh, fire mitigation specifically what we were doing in um in evergreen is we were trying to keep it away from people's homes and from the highway. So it's really kind of a method just to, to find a way to live simultaneously with nature uh, without pissing her off too much. <laughs> and, you know, just trying to, to find a balance there really. Yeah. Because I feel like if you, if you look, you know, <clears throat> historically, and when I say historically, you know, thousands of years in the past, Fire is actually, you know, one of mother's, Mother Nature's way to restart an area. And <laughs> actually, you know, what comes from it is actually end up um, more beneficial to wildlife. Um, you know, I feel like 
the reason why in the last, you know, 100 plus years that, that we've had issues with these forest fires is really basically because of where we're choosing to live. Um, you know, which I, yeah. I, I get it. If I could afford it and I was able to move with my job, I would love to move out west into the middle of a forest. Um, you can't, in my opinion, you can't get much of much more of a beautiful area. Um, mm -hmm. But then you also place yourself and your home and your family at risk, you know, if a fire would, would come through. So, um, you know, it's that just like everything, it's that gray area and that, that tight rope that you're walking to not completely clear cut an area, but at the same time, you know, keep it safe for people. Um, yeah. And I think what you're kind of, you might've been touching on a little bit in the beginning there is um, controlled burns. Um, is is another it's that's not you know what we were doing was not the only fire mitigation um, Controlled burn is like actually one of the most accurate and the most useful ways to prevent like super dangerous forest fires um, by actually being able to to not rope off an area for lack of a of a better word make sure that nobody's there and um, like control the burn in you know acres ideally like thousands and thousands of acres you know if if we had the money and if we had the funding to be able to to support that kind of thing um but no super effective way of controlling dangerous forest fires because that way a forest if it had not been on fire for like a hundred years it's gonna light up like a tinderbox and there's no way barely any way that we could stop that it's gonna be extremely hard to contain so yeah controlled controlled burns super important yeah if you can um you know, do over multiple years, these, these smaller little fires that are by definition controlled on perfect, uh, you know, done during perfect weather conditions with low wind and the right amount of moisture in the air, um, you know, just these small little fires that we can control, then you don't have the big wildfires that by definition are out of control and, and trying to just get containment of before they make huge, huge uh, impacts on the landscape. Mm -hmm. So, um, this, the, the reason I wanted to talk to you, um, you know, you being a part, taking part in this, um, in, in the Mile High, um, Youth Corps, uh, that's, you know, a, a sort of like an offshoot of the Youth Conservation Corps, which is, uh, an offshoot of the, um, of the CCC that was started back in the 30s with, uh, with FDR and part of his New Deer deal, New Deer, mm -hmm. New Deal, um, and just for anyone that's not not familiar, um, you know, the CCC was started as a way to get out of work Americans um, to work. They were paid by the federal government to do conservation related work. Um, you know, they built, uh, if you go to a national or state park, a lot of the buildings that you see that are used um, were built back in the 1930s. Um, they planted a, a, a lot of trees, millions of trees um, in areas that had been uh, clear cut. Uh, we have uh, locally, semi-locally here, we have the national, uh, the Allegheny National Forest, um, which when it was declared a national forest, it had been virtually clear cut by timber companies. Um, and a lot of it was hemlock that they actually used the resin from the hemlock and tanning of firs. Um, so they planted, you know, hundreds of thousands of trees in that national forest that you that now you go and, and you see and they're almost 100 years old it, it's mm -hmm. it's really cool um with 
with everything that's going on now, right, we've had this pandemic, um, we've had a lot of people uh, lose work, there are, you know, all these people out of work. Um, there has, I have noticed more and more of a call for starting up a, uh, a modern day CCC. Mm -hmm. uh, where do you fall on that? Oh my gosh, I love it. I love that idea. I mean, can you imagine a better, like a more opportune time um, where we have so many Americans out of work? We have, in my experience, so many youth that want to get into this industry, but just aren't competitive enough. They don't have the education. They don't have the experience to be able to, to fund a program that specifically like educates youth um, to be able to to get into this industry, which, I mean, we we all know there needs to be there needs to be something done. Um, you know, whether whatever whatever that is, that's up to you and and how you affiliate or whatever. But something does need to be done. Um, so no, I I love that idea. I love, um, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, I look at it as you know, I grew up in a sort of a mix between suburban and rural setting. I, I, I come from a hunting family um, that was originally farmers. Um, you know, so I spent, I mean, a tremendous amount of my childhood in the outdoors. And um, so, you know, so I was exposed to it. And so it makes sense in my mind now that I'm in, still interested in conservation, that I've um, that I look at these outdoor spaces as being a priority uh, in our country. And then I look at someone who maybe grew up in an urban setting, you know, how, you know, you mentioned how hard it is to break into a, the conservation industry in any form or fashion. And how is someone going to even know where to start if they've, if their idea of the outdoors is just the local city park that has mm -hmm. perfectly manicured grass and a playground. Um, you know, how, how are they even going to know that opportunity is out there if it's even interested, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if they even have a, a remote interest in being in there. And then, you know, along with what you said about these, the youth, you know, wanting to make a difference. I mean, as a teacher, I see that um, every day. I see kids that are, um, you know, doing, that are extremely interested in any number of, you know, quote unquote movements, um, whether they be social or, uh, you know, conservation based, things like that. So to be able to give people and especially the youth a, a, a job that would be a livable wage of some sort somehow, um, and then also benefit conservation, um, you know, I, I just, um, yes. <laughs> I, yeah, I see that as a, as a complete win-win. You know, we're, we're as a as a teacher, I'm seeing more and more students uh, taking a gap year after high school, not sure um, what they want to do, you know, mm -hmm. as a job. And you know, listen, you know, as a teacher, like don't don't just go to college. You know, I tell these kids, don't just go to college to go to college, um, because it's expensive. Uh, so you know, instead of you know just going and wasting your money i'm i'm all for you taking a gap year and oh my we, gosh jason i resonate with that so much because i mean like i said earlier got a communications marketing degree spent a year in the field and hated it and realized wait i i want to love what i do for the rest of my life i mean of course <laughs> yeah do you uh, I, do you think if given an opportunity to 
take a gap year where you work and not just work at the gap uh, at the mall, but you know, work in a CCC style program, or maybe it's Habitat for Humanity or um, something like that. Do, looking back, one, do you wish you would have done that? And then two, do you think you actually would have, or do you think just by societal pressures, maybe you still would have went to college? So I think you'll understand this because you are a teacher. Um, both of my parents were teachers, like five of my 10 aunts and uncles are teachers. I grew up with teachers everywhere and most of them um, in a generation where you need to make something of yourself, you need a higher education, you better just jump into that right out of high school. I feel like if I grew up without that dialogue and if I grew up thinking, I get to choose what I want. I get to choose my worth and my worth isn't necessarily a college degree. Oh my gosh, I totally would have done that. And I think today I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people graduate high school or, you know, looking at the next steps of their lives and realizing, hey, I get to make this, you know, I get to choose what I want to do here. And having a college degree doesn't like, one, it might not get me where I want to go, but two, I don't even necessarily need it that yeah no that's a really powerful place to be in and yeah I, I really wish that kids had more opportunities like that maybe they're just worried about you know what their friends back home are going to say with with them you know working at the gap for a summer but honestly there's there's no shame in taking a break and not getting caught up in the in the swing of things you know yeah I, you know i am 11 years into uh, teaching now. And, um, you know, when I started, it was where we are pushing every kid to go to college. Mm -hmm. uh, getting a college degree was the only option that, that the education field saw. And I can't speak nationally. I can only speak um, to locally and what I've been exposed to. But within the last three or four years, we um, here in, for the most part in Western Pennsylvania have really switch that to pushing students towards what is going to benefit them individually the most. So for some kids, that is college, right? Um, you want to, you know, this, this kid uh, does really well with school and wants to be a pharmacist or a doctor or, you know, a teacher. Hey, if that's what you want to do and you enjoy school and, and learning, then absolutely college is for you. Um, but, you know, college isn't for everyone. Um, there are some students that, that I have that they're just not interested in school. Um, they'd rather do something uh, more hands-on, um, which with the classes I teach, you know, I, I do a lot of hands-on stuff. So some of the quote-unquote uh, tougher students um, for some teachers to teach to, I don't have that problem because I have them up and moving and, and doing something that, that at least interests them a little bit. Um, you know, I think giving them the opportunity and even for some kids that might end up going to college, giving them the opportunity to work and feel as though they're making a difference in the world uh, for a year, heck for even three months, I think would be a huge benefit to them individually, which then is going to be a huge benefit to us, you know, as a society and as a country. For sure. So what, if you, uh, let's say we wave the magic wand and uh, a new modern day CCC has been started. It, 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 we are starting it right now. Um, and you had the 
opportunity uh, to take part in that. And then you got to pick what you were doing and where in the country you were doing it. What are you doing and where are you at? Oh my gosh. Um, where am I at? So things are a little bit more complicated now. I'm married. My husband is in the Space Force. So we can't necessarily move wherever we want to go. Um, but I'm still in love with Colorado. If I can figure out a way to get a house here, let's do that. I'd be in Colorado. I think in, um, in forestry though, probably. I'd probably be in the mountains. Like you said, it's kind of, it's tough to, to find a spot there, but I think I'd be almost exactly where I am now and doing some similar work. I think I would love to work with invasive species still. Um, like I said, my experience with Mile High Youth Corps um, and the YCC changed how I see like environmental work. It doesn't just have to be planting trees. It can be cutting down trees. You can take all of your anger out from the day before and just chop up that tree until it's tiny little pieces. Like I think the way that, you know, people look at conservation, it, I think it needs to change just a little bit. But anyway, um, no, you can be a total badass, excuse my French, um, working in a forest, uh, you know, cutting down terrible trees or like treating, you know, treating uh, like entire biomes that, that need to be recorrected. I think that's, that's what I would be doing. And my heart fluttered a little bit when you said, and you can choose whatever you want to be doing with this brand new CCC. Oh, that's, that's an environmentalist dream. That's, that's great. <laughs> I have to ask, you said you think people's attitude or ideas of conservation need to change. What do you mean by that? So we did talk a little bit before the episode, but um, particularly with, with women in natural resources and conservation and forestry and all of those industries, it's pretty male dominated, which makes sense when we were talking about the original CCC, that was all unemployed men, you know, that, you know, which I mean, that was in the 1930s, so fair. But as we're looking at it now, you don't need to, I could probably barely bench 45 pounds, but I could wield a chainsaw, you know? I mean, as a woman, I, I, I got into this industry and realized that it's pretty male dominated. Um, you know, you can, you can probably assume that, but that does need to change. I think that there's so many women that all of their, how do I want to phrase this? All of their, their skills and their compassion definitely could be used in this industry. Um, hopefully, you know, as it grows, like you said, if there was, uh, you know, modern day CCC, there's going to be a lot of positions that need to be filled. And uh, it's kind of similar to the way that we look at STEM, you know, women in STEM, that's, that's a national conversation right now. I think it's no different here. Yeah. It, 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 it makes me, it made me chuckle a little bit when you said you could maybe bench a hundred, uh, you know, 45 pounds. <laughs> um, you know, you're, no one's asking you once you cut down the tree to start, you know, lifting it up. Um, yeah. You know, so doing things like cutting down trees or, or removing in spaces, invasive species, it's more of an endurance uh, th that you need than actual strength, strength. Um, so, you know, why can't a woman do it if, if she wants to? Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's those kinds of um, 
preconceived notions that um, would be would be nice to be able to change. Um, you know, as I as I get a little deeper into the conservation space by just networking more and speaking to more people and having different guests on the podcast, um, you know, I definitely see more and more women that do work in conservation, but their roles are in marketing and uh, <laughs> accounting and you know more communications. office style communications, yeah. <laughs> more office style roles, which is which is great. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, if you have a woman like yourself that wants to, uh, you know, excuse the the cliche here, get your hands dirty and be out in the field. What's wrong with that? Yeah. Um, you know, there, like you said, there there are um, there are things that women uh, can offer that. Hey, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So you know, I, I hope to see that. That'd be super exciting. Um, particularly, and it was kind of unique with Mile High Youth Corps. I joined and I want to say that there's probably like 60 to 70% women crew members um, as opposed to men, which was kind of surprising. Um, so I think that I'm starting to see that change. I think that I'm starting to be a part of that change and that's extremely exciting. That's awesome. That That's mm -hmm. great. That That is a little bit um, surprising to me to mm -hmm. hear that, that over 50%, you know, women crew members that that's great I, I mean I'm all for you know hey if someone wants to do it and they're able to I, doesn't matter to me that you know yeah. um so that that would be that'd be nice that's good that's awesome that, that you feel like you're part of that change mm -hmm. uh Haley is there anything else that you would like to touch on uh when it comes to the Malha Youth Corps or CCC or um the work that you're doing I would, maybe I just, I just want to say to whoever's listening, you know, maybe they're, they're at a desk job and they're subscribed to you and they, they're just, they have this fantasy of conservation. There's, there's very few reasons, um, you know, barring financials that you can't like make, make a step. You can't like, well, right now with, you know, the pandemic, probably don't just quit your job like I did <laughs> without a contingency plan. But honestly, like every time someone asks me what I do, I tell them that story and it feels good every single time that I say it. I never get sick of telling people how great it feels to be brave. So I don't know, just, it's super cliche. Sorry that I don't have a better way of saying this, but seriously, just like make that jump. Just, just do it. Um, you're gonna be happy the rest of your life. And if you just make a habit out of putting your happiness first, as opposed to anyone else's, you're you're gonna have a better life so that, i guess that's it <laughs> that's a that's a great way to put it and uh, just to just to play off what you said you know you mentioned that there's some people and especially right now that might not be able to just do what you did and just make the jump um mm -hmm. you know take that leap of faith um and if you're one of those people um hey then your other option is to slowly take steps before you you know, you take that actual leap, you know, do what you need to do to put yourself in a situation where you can uh, finally quit that test job or, or, you know, whatever it is that you're doing to, to slowly get there. Um, you know, it, if you take those steps and like you said, put your happiness first and, and, you know, I, I would like to say along with that, you know, your family's happiness as well. Um, you know, then if you're taking those steps, then you're going to be able to get there at some point. And um, the sooner you can do that, um, the better everyone's life and your, uh, you know, right around you is going to be. Yeah. So that, 
I'm, I'm super happy that you brought that up. That's great. That uh, gives me a little bit more vigor for what we're <laughs> trying to do here at Conserve the Wild. So that, that's awesome. It. That's great to hear. Mm -hmm. Well, Haley, thank you for your time. Um, good luck. Have fun out there in the field. Uh, be mm -hmm. safe, obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one last question for you, though. What is the biggest tree that you cut down in, I guess we'll say, in diameter size? Ooh, okay. So uh, I'm all of 5'2". My bar was 30 inches, <laughs> my chainsaw bar. Um, I'm going to say two feet in diameter. Yeah, we'll say that. But I, liked, I like to say the height. I was, I'm going to say it was maybe like a hundred and fifteen feet tall. It was a massive pondo. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, yeah, it was during that uh, that fire um, fire mitigation work when we were when we were up in Evergreen. It was it felt so good. Oh, and also it had a like no lean. Um, yeah, pretty difficult and a and a big crack in it. So it was it was a little bit scary, but I had everyone there, so we were safe. It was amazing though. Yeah. Um you're a badass. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, I, I mean, obviously you mentioned, you know, you went to, you went through some training and, and you had to be certified. And, sure. and so, uh, well, I will 100% say that you, um, are more prepared to do something like that than someone like me. But, um, you know, we have family property that we've been, you know, here and there, we cut down trees as we need to. And anything over about 10 inches in diameter height doesn't seem to bother me too much. Um, I prefer a lean, so I know where it's going. Um, but anything over ten inches, and I'm like, ah, oh, man, maybe we should get the neighbor who does yeah, it actually to do it. <laughs> I totally understand that. Well, if I'm ever in Pennsylvania, <laughs> oh, I will for sure be calling you up to get your to uh, take advantage of your services for sure. So Haley, uh, thanks for coming on and talking about this. This was a great conversation, and um, I said, good luck, stay safe, and uh, have a good rest of your weekend. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And that'll do it for today. As always, I want to thank you for listening. If it wasn't for you listening, uh, I wouldn't have the motivation to keep going with these podcasts. I love talking to these new people and meeting new people. And that leads me right to the next thank you, which is thanking Haley for coming on. Um, she was a blast. And uh, you can just tell as a, as a great person and extremely brave and um, quite honestly, more of a badass than I am. The one thing that I would hope that all of you get from this is coming, you know, it, it just coming straight from, from Haley's words, um, find out what you like to do and start doing it. I, um, I've, I'm taking baby steps in that direction where she took a big leap, but find what you're passionate about and expose yourself to those passions and continue to do those passions as much as possible. Um, put yourself in that position that you're waking up. Uh, as many days as possible happy with what it is that you're about to do that day and then the other thing that I want you to do is I want you to go on Twitter and follow conserve the wild it's at conserve underscore wild I want you to go to Instagram and follow conserve the wild at conserve <clears throat> conserve the wild 
And then I want you to go on Facebook, search Conserve the Wild, and uh, like our page. These are the places you are going to find out uh, all the latest content, all the latest episodes, uh, and you're going to, this is where you're going to find uh, some of our newer uh, projects that we have in the works that will be uh, released starting in the spring. So if you want to get that early access and know about things uh, before you hear them on the podcast, follow us on social media. Until next week, I want you to do what you do best. That's stay wild.